Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Super excited about this series. It's been on my heart for a little while, and uh, it's going to be really hard, I feel like, to follow up our River series. But I really feel like one of the things that that we try to do, we really feel like the Lord does, is we just kind of build from series to series, glory to glory. And so we, we spent this last series talking about the Holy Spirit and the river of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like in our life and what it looks like to, to live in the river and life in the river and having the river pour out of us. But so many times we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about giving us the ability to function or the ability for us to be comforted. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is that we are able to explore the mysteries of God. Did you know that? That part of the reason why you've been given the Holy Spirit is that you can know who God is. So you can know the deep places of God's heart. And that's what we're going to be focusing on in this series. We always try to try to do a little bit more worship slanted series during the fall. And uh, so really what I want you to do is I just want you to just, just explore God like you've never done before. That you would just go after Jesus with a tenacity. That you would go after him with a passion more, more than what you're comfortable with. Come on, just just throw off the, the bondage that that. that it is you, come on, the thing that holds you back and just pursue Jesus. That word wonder means this. It means to cause of astonishment or admiration. To cause of astonishment of admiration. How many know that that sounds a lot like worship, that we would stand before God, that we would be astonished and we would admire him. We would look at him in, in such a powerful way. One of the things that I think about is about a year ago, we went to see this movie called... Um, the Spider-Verse. You all see that? It was, maybe it's called Spider-Man and the Multiverse, some, some weird kind of, I don't know, all the, all the titles just kind of run in. But it's the animated Spider-Man. And I, man, I was not. I do not like animation. And I got four kids, so that's not good news for me. But my our older kids, they really wanted to go see this. So I was like, oh, that would be cool. I could take the older kids. We'll go see Spider-Man. I'm sure it'll be at least somewhat entertaining. And for like two hours or however long the movie was, I was sitting there fully engaged by the light and the sound and the narration. Man, I was just, I was blown away. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. You needed to see it in big screen. But I was just blown away by all this stuff, all these moving parts. I don't think I picked up my phone one time. I mean, I am, I'm kind of ADDDDDD. Uh, like Pastor Adam says, and I get distracted really easy. And so I watched this movie just blown away. Why? Because I was caught up in wonder. I was fascinated by what was put in front of me. And one of the things that we that we discover about King David is King David was a guy who was really in to exploring the beauty of God. We read throughout the Psalms, and we just see that he is so fascinated and so wrapped up in the beauty of God. And he says this in Psalm chapter 8. This is where we're going to spend our, most of our time today in this a passage of scripture. He says in Psalms chapter 8, verse 1, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above. Everybody say above. You have set your glory above the heavens. So he's saying, I see the earth and I see the heavens, but your glory is even above that. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise 
because of your enemies, to silence the foe of the avenger. What is he talking about? He's saying that even from the lips of little babies, when they begin to praise the Lord, the enemies are defeated. Even, even little children, you know, little, our, our kids, we underestimate them sometimes. We think, oh, we'll just give them a little. Did you know that when they praise the Lord, the demons flee? Did you know that, you, that your children function in the power of deliverance? So you need to teach them praise songs. Right here he says God ordains that praise because he wants to destroy the devil, not just through big mighty warriors, but through little children singing the praises of God that it silences the foe and the avenger. And he's, he's caught up in this. He's, wow, look, even little kids, they sing of the glory of God and boom, the devil flees. When I consider your heavens, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler. Oh, I love this. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. How many know that God created you to rule? Come on, that's where we're going to spend our time on the next series. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But God created you to rule and reign on the earth with the, through the works of your hand, and you put everything under his feet. How many know this one thing to be lost wondering about God and a total another thing to be lost in the wonder of God. And I think some people are lost wondering about God. Man, I wonder if God's here. I wonder if God's in the room. I wonder if God's really in this place during worship. I wonder if that preacher is telling the truth, right? I wonder if God is even real. That's that's one way to wonder, but there's another way to wonder where we get lost in the wonder of God. That we say, God, you are so full of wonder. I'm lost. I'm captivated. I'm fascinated in your wonders, and who you are, in your beauty. And so we're going to spend this series getting lost. I don't want you to get found. I want you to get lost. I want you to get wrapped up, totally fascinated, totally consumed in the beauty and the wonder of God. I'm afraid that many of us have lost our wonder. Remember when you were a little kid, you go back and look at your pictures of when you were a kid or you look in the, the, the eyes of those kids in your class photo and you see this glimmer in their eyes. You see this sparkle in your eyes. What is it? That's that ability. Yeah, some of it's tied to their purity, but I think some of it is tied to their ability to wonder. Maybe the reason why we can't wonder anymore is because we've lost our purity. But, but I think about these kids, man. You always look at kids, man. They have this big imagination. And it seems like as we get a little older and as life starts taking its toll on us and life starts taxing us, we lose our ability to wonder. And many of us who know God have even lost our ability to wonder. Most of, most of our stories about God are things that have happened, you know, months or decades ago. And we, and we don't have any more grid for what God is doing in our life. We've kind of lost our wonder. And we have, a, we have a theory and we have a theology and we have a list, but we don't know how to wonder. We've, we've forgotten. And instead of getting lost in wonder, we lost our ability to wonder, and I, I'm afraid in this age of in, information and instant gratification, gratification, we've traded our pursuit of discovery for for a religious list and information. This is what we've done. We, you want to discover something now? What do you do? You pull your phone out and you Google it, right, beloved? You won't meet God on Google. 
You won't meet God on Google. There might be a lot of cues there. There might be a, there might be a lot of great information there, but you will not meet God on Google. Don't forfeit the desire in you to pursue, to discover God. Don't give that up for just simply information, knowing about God. Get into God. Explore the wonder and the beauty of God. And we've lost this sparkle in our eye. I I remember when I was a kid, man, I'd wake up early on a Saturday morning. And I remember a ghost, man, we had a pretty big backyard. And I remember going in my backyard for hours, probably like six hours. I'd take a break to eat some Doritos and bean dip or something. And I, I remember going to my backyard and pretending I was Rambo for like six hours. I mean, if somebody would have saw me, they would have thought I was a crazy lunatic or something. I remember, I, I remember when I got a, a gun from, they had this place called Gibson's. It was a little shop. And I remember getting a gun that made noise, you know. And I don't even know if they sell that stuff anymore. Everybody's so freaked out about anything and everything. But I remember getting that gun and just, you know, shooting all, you know, thousands and thousands of, of bad guys in my backyard. You know, I remember making, making a, getting aluminum foil and making valuable, you know, treasures that I had to hide and go find. Anybody, anybody do that with me? We had this sense of imagination. I remember going out of my front yard and, and playing with my Star Wars action figures. They weren't dolls. They were action figures. Let's just be clear. And we, I would play with those, you know, these terrible you know, my son calls them face scans. That's when they, they scan the face and they put it on the, I mean, the action figures now, they look like the real thing. And so my son was into wrestling action figures a while back and he was like, those face scans aren't very good. And I'm like, what's a face scan? So I guess that that's how accurate the action figure is. But I mean, they had like Luke Skywalker with like this really blonde hair, you know, but, but he was awesome. It was still Luke Skywalker, but we had an imagination. It didn't have to look just like the real thing because we had something in here. And, and greater than that, we had something in here to think this is a real thing. I have an imagination. And, and at some point we lost this ability to imagine. It's like, it's like we traded in our crayons for textbooks. And I want my crayon back. I want, my, I want to be able to get to the place again where I'm, where I'm creating. I'm not just manipulating the words in front of me. I'm not, I'm not copy and pasting my creativity. And I feel like that that's what we do so much in this world. It's just a, we're just duplicating. We're just echoing. But God wants us to be creative because our Heavenly Father is a creative being. We've stopped imagining And because we've stopped imagining, we've stopped believing. We've stopped believing. We've stopped believing what God could do. We look at the doctor's report. We look at our financial report. We look at the news. Come on. We said, this is, it's all going downhill. There's no good news. There's no good news. There is good news. Will you believe in God? Will you trust in God who works wonders, who is powerful, who is above the heavens? who's orchestrating the earth, the one who is involved in the things. Will you believe God? Will you dream with God? Will you wonder with God? Sometimes I, I drive around Grand Prairie and I, and I dream with God and I just imagine, God, what will you do in our city? What will you do in our region here in the Metroplex? So, Lord, would you do something? Would you, would, you, would you tap a well right here in Grand Prairie and spill into all over the Metroplex? Lord, that's what I'm believing for, just dreaming with God. Will you dream with God? 
I believe that God's looking for a people that will dream with him, that will wonder, that will sit back, that will get, get off their devices, that will, will get nothing in front of them and just sit there with God and just say, God, what could you do? And believe him that he'll do it. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God's glorious riches. I mean, we have our lack in God's riches. (laughs) It's way better to have your lack in God's riches than your riches in God's. God doesn't have lack, but having God not in the equation. I'd way rather have God's riches than my lack. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. It's not your spirit, it's his spirit. He says, I'm praying that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. One translation says your inner man. You know what your inner man is? That guy you're talking to when you lay down at night. That woman that you're having a conversation with at night. That is the inner man. So he's he's saying, I'm praying that God may strengthen you by his spirit in your capacity to hope, in your capacity to dream, in your capacity to wonder, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you be motivated, right? You be grounded in love. And he says this may have power. With that, that because of that, you may have power together with all the saints, with the other believers that are in the room, to grasp How wide and how long? We talk about God's love is wonderful. It's mysterious. He's saying, I'm praying that you get it, that you'll grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's like you've got a bucket of slime. Have you ever played with slime? It's kind of a hot commodity right now, right? You grab slime. Do you get a hold of it? Can you grasp it? Yeah, a little bit, but it just gets out of your hand. And I feel like that that's what he's, he's praying here. You can grab the love of God. It gets away from you. Just grab it again. It's getting all over you. It's, get, it's getting in you. It's getting on you. Get in the love of God. Grasp it. I want you to, I want you to get it, but it's deep. It's a deep love. It's, it's vast. It's huge. But you may be, and then this is what he says. I pray that this love that surpasses knowledge. So it's like. Whoa, I got, we got it. Whoa, I don't know. I thought I had it, but I didn't have it. That's how I've been with God. I've been serving Jesus for 25 years. The more I know, the less I realize that I, don't, that I, that I know. I'm like, I know, I know a lot about the Lord. Like, I've been studying God's affections for like 25 years, and I'm like, whoa, hold up. Hold the phone. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And I know a lot more than I used to know, but I don't, I don't know that. I haven't experienced that. I'm going after that. Beloved, there is always a deeper place. And some of you, the only stories that you have are things that happened from your childhood or things that happened 20 years ago or or 10 months ago. Beloved, God wants you to grasp some things right now. He wants you to, to get into his wonder right now. He wants to blow your mind. He wants to, and he will if you'll gaze at him. And he says this, that, we would, that that love that surpasses knowledge, it goes beyond our knowledge that we would be filled with the measure, listen, of the fullness of God. That's a lot of measure. <laughs> I mean, you got your fullness. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. I got a lot of fullness. I can contain a lot, especially Mexican food. 
especially chips and salsa. I mean, it's like it's an empty, it's an endless well. You know, it's an endless ocean of chips and salsa. I mean, just all day. I can contain a lot of fullness, but God's fullness. See, the problem we have is we're full of us, and we need to be full of him. And he wants us to, by his spirit, as we're rooted in love, and we're being filled with the fullness of God, we're being filled with the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God. He's saying that you should be experiencing that, that we would, that's his prayer, beloved. Let's answer the prayer of Paul, that we would be filled with a measure of God's fullness. Now unto him, and here it is, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably. I feel like that when the Bible uses a word, it carries a lot more weight than when I use it. He's saying this immeasurably. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, infinitely more than you can ask. God can do more than you could ever ask, ever. In a billion years, all that you could ask for, God could do more than that. So what he says, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So I'm asking, Lord, would you blow my mind? Would you do more than I can imagine? I have a big imagination. And sometimes it gets the best of me. Because sometimes I'm wandering on the side of doubt and fear and not wandering on the side, side of faith and belief and hope and trust. Do you believe? Will you imagine Listen, God can move in your life as big as your imagination is. And some of you, if you lose, listen, you've got to understand this. If you lose your ability to imagine, you'll lose your ability to see God work in your life. Do you believe? According to his power that is with work in us, to him be the glory in the church and Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to talk today about a God of wonders. A God of wonders. We serve a God of wonders. He is wonderful. And he is wonder-filled. He is filled with beauty. He is filled with glory. He is filled with wonder. I love the first part of that word, wonder. The first part of the word wonder is woe. God wants you to be filled with the woe of God. Whoa! I had a woe moment last night. We had a, the furnace, we, we, the most important ministry in our church is called the furnace. It happens on Saturday nights. It's when we minister to God out of our prayer and our worship. We come in, it's an hour. And I walked in here, and Pastor Nathan's up here, and he's got a whole team, a bunch of people that have never played before. We don't normally have a full team, normally have one musician that came in. And so all these, like, unique sounds. And I'm over here, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm getting my Josh Brown worship on. I'm like, come on, yeah, come on, Jesus. You know, just the way I function, like, just I'm all in. Because I'm just, I'm just, I'm after God, like with everything. And so I'm like going after God. And then it's just like something shifted in the room. And I was like, whoa. And so I sat down right there. And for about the next 50 minutes, I laid plastered right there on that front row just going, whoa. Whoa. What happened? Was it something spooky? No, I was just caught up in the wonder of God. And there was this, there was, I rested more. In those 50 minutes, I, I wasn't napping. It was weird. I wasn't napping, but, I, but my body was just like heavy. And I was just, what was happening? I was just lost in the wonder of God. It wasn't spooky. It was powerful. It was, I needed the refreshing for just that rest in the Lord. So he's wonderful. He's wonder-filled. The first part of wonder is woe. 
And this is our tendency with God. We like to simplify him. We like to simplify God. We like to make God like us. Now, God is mysterious, but he's not unsearchable. Look, Psalms chapter 8, verse 1 says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Mm. We have a name for you. Come on. In all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So if his name is above the heavens, now here's David. David's been, you know, learn, David spent a lot of time outside. I mean, first of all, when he's a kid, he's a shepherd. He's sleeping outside. He's gazing at the stars. There's so many, so many psalms about the beauty of creation, probably because David spent a lot of time outside. We know that on the palace that he would go out. In fact, he got him in trouble one time. He went out of the palace. He was outside like it was his custom. David probably felt more comfortable outside than he did inside. He was just prone to wonder. He had a wondering heart. He was an explorer. So here he is. He's looking up at the sky, and he makes this statement. You set your glory above. It's above the heavens. If it's above the heavens, that means it's definitely above the earth. And he's like, God, you are higher. You are, you are way up there, but you're also right here. And what we tend to do is we tend to simplify God and make him in this nice little package that we're comfortable with, that we can maybe stick in our pocket or carry around on a note on one page and say, this is what God is like. We might not do it physically, but we, we have a list. God wouldn't do this. God would do this. And David's saying, God, my God is above the heavens. Don't simplify God. You know, the central characteristic in all of Scripture, if I, if I said, what would you say God is? Most of us would say God is love, right? I mean, that's the right answer. It's the correct answer. Scripture says that. But do you know what Scripture identifies God as? Is any other word more than any other word in the Scriptures? Holy. God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. 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 What does that mean? That's, that seems like an abstract word, right? Holy. That's such a weird word. Why is that holy? What does that mean? Holy. Holy means other than. Other, oh, holy means uncommon. Holy means everything but simple. It means the opposite of that which is common or profane. It means separate. It means different. It means unique. So when we say, God, you're holy, we're saying, God, you're totally different. You're totally different than anything I've ever experienced. And this is what we see, and we'll get into this in the series, in the book of Revelation, when they're going around the throne, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're not just singing a good song. They are getting a revelation of the beauty of God, and they're going, whoa, it's totally different than the last holy. That holy was so good. And some of you are stuck in this holy. You need to move on to the next holy. That, that holy remains, but you need to move into the next, the next facet of the beauty of God and say, whoa, I've never seen you, God, from this angle. Because he's completely unique. He's completely opposite to that which is common. And this, so what, you know what he says? He says, be holy because I am holy. And we've been caught up guilty most of us, because we try to fit into a world that we don't belong to. And God says this, be holy because I'm holy. And then he says this, come from among them and be separate. You Listen, you should be different than the people you work with. That's a good thing. I hope that you are. I hope that when people look at you and they, they say, Josh, there's something different about you. What is it? What is it? It's the holiness of God. 
the, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, he's called you out to be separate, to be different, to be unique, to be holy like your heavenly father is. Holy. Moses sang it this way. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll just read it. He says this in Exodus 15. This is after the children of Israel have been delivered. He says, who among the other gods? Now, you've got to understand something. The, in, in ancient Israel, in a, the ancient world at that time, idolatry was a big thing. Like, they had all these gods. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had, like, all these gods. So part of the reason why there was such a commitment to not be in idolatry is because most of the world was. And they had all these gods. So Moses has this encounter with God, and he says, Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you? God, whoa! I've heard their stories. I've seen what they can do. I've seen their miracles. But who is like you? You're majestic in holiness. You're awesome in glory. You're working wonders. You're doing incredible things. And let me suggest this to you today, that he is holy, holy. And by holy, holy, I don't mean H-O, holy, holy, but W-H, holy, holy. God is completely and totally holy. His love is completely, totally holy. It's different than the love. The world has its definition. Sometimes in the church, we have our definition. God's definition is totally different. His grace is crazy different. His justice is crazy different. His mercy is crazy different. This is why Jesus was so rejected. Because he showed up with a different kind of love. He showed up with a different kind of grace. They were like, they, we have it all figured out. We know what's going to look like. He's going to come over. He's going to take over the world with an iron scepter. And he's going to get rid of all the Romans. And then he came in and he served the sinners. And they're like, that does not fit in to the box that we've created. So Jesus broke the box. See, he is totally uncommon, unlike anything we have ever known. We try to simplify him. No wonder. <laughs> no wonder the first two commandments deal with don't have any other gods before me. And the second one is what? Don't make an idol. Don't make any image. Don't try to figure me out and make me into a 3D printer God that, is, that you're comfortable with, that you like, that the theology is Portable for you, a God that you figured out, because this is what the nations had. They had a God they figured out. And if you remember when Moses was gone, they tried to do the same thing. He showed up, he's like, "What are you doing?" This is the exact thing he's trying. He's trying to be God. He's trying to show you how wonderful you, he is, and you've got a package. And he's saying some of the things in that package they're right, but some of them aren't. I want to reveal myself to you. When we simplify God, we minimize his power in our life. That's exactly what happens. The reason why we don't see God move more is because we simplified him. We think God wouldn't do that. I have people that are like deep into the Lord that need a miracle in their life. And they don't even recognize their need for the miracle. They're like, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know how we're going to deal with the cancer. I'll tell you how. You're not going to deal with it. God is going to deal with it because we serve a God of wonders. And we believe. We say, you know what? You can't. 
There is no earthly solution. But my God is a God who works wonders. My God is wonder-filled, and he likes to blow people's minds. Will you believe him? Will you believe him? That's my God. Tear down the idols. Tear down the idols. Tear down the continually, continually, continually. Tear down the idols. Tear down the idols. Get rid of your idea of what I'm like. Quit trying to simplify me. I am wonder filled and I want to blow your mind. Number two, what he makes is wonderful. What he makes is wonderful. David goes on, he says this, he says, When I consider your heavens, your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. David's like, I'm just here blown away by all that you've done. Have you ever done that? Gone out into a creek? I, I love being outside and, and love nature and all that stuff. I don't do it enough. I think it's really good for my heart to do that. It's good for your heart to do that. Just don't miss Sunday. But do every once in a while. Just get out and just cut, get caught up in the beauty of what God made. Get outside, barefoot, walk around your backyard. David is saying, look at the cosmos. And there's, how many know the cosmos has a beginning point? There's this thing called the Big Bang cosmology, right? Theory, Big Bang cosmology. A big boom happened. And all this stuff starts happening after the boom, right? So it's called Big Bang Cosmology. If it's correct, which all the evidence says it is, then the entire space-time universe exploded out of nothing, became something out of nothing. Therefore, the cause of the universe would seem to have some attributes. What is the cause? What cause? What is causation for the cosmos? What caused it to be there? Well, you don't, we're not just standing here and something just happens right here in the room with nothing happening, barring a miracle. And so the idea with Big Bang theology, it is a theology, cosmology, is it something happening out of nothing? If it did, if there was a Big Bang, then first of all, whatever caused it must be spaceless because it created space. It must be timeless because it created time. It must be immaterial because it created matter. It must be powerful because it created something out of nothing. It must be life because you can't create life out of non-life. It must be intelligent because the creation event and the universe is precisely designed and fine-tuned. I want you to imagine a, a radial dial around the whole world. Like the size of the whole world, how many ever miles it is. It's a long radio dial, like an old school one, not like digital numbers. If you grew up like I did, we, we had it on our TVs, right? You had, a, you had a big knob, right? You had to get up to change the channel. It's terrible. You get up, hey, go change the channel. Okay. Dusting my Doritos up. Change it. And then if the channel wasn't right, they had a little ring around there, and you could adjust that little ring and fine-tune that channel to get rid of all the fuzzy parts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's called fine-tuning. So imagine the universe is this scale that runs between the earth and the sun. That's a, that's a better illustration. And in that are all these little places. In order for life to exist in the universe, 
between here and the sun on that scale, there has to be on the right channel, and that channel must be fine-tuned in order for life to exist. I mean, this is called fine-tuning. All scientists agree with this. All, all scientists believe that there was a Big Bang and then the fine-tuning of the universe. The universe has to be timed because if it's not, life can't exist. It's so fine-tuned at this that 1 in 10 to the 60th power, or 10 with six, 60 zeros after it, of the, uh, the gravity constants, basically the numbers that make up, the science that makes up gravity, all the numbers, all the constants, all the things that have to happen in order for, for gravity to take place, if just one of those things, 1 in 10 to the 60th power, if just one of those things is off, gravity causes the universe to implode, life can't exist, or explode, life can't exist. But the universe was created in such a way, so fine-tuned, by accident, that life can exist. By accident. It's like accidentally, nobody's in your house, and you walk into your kitchen, and there's a meal on the table. You wouldn't go, what happened here? After billions and billions of years, a steak formed and it steamed with a nice slab of butter on it with a side of broccoli and an ice-cold Coca-Cola with bubbles bubbling. It's an accident. You don't know what happened. No, you know somebody prepared that meal for you. The fine-tuning of the universe speaks of the glory and the wonder of God. We also know that this whatever caused the universe must be personal because it made a choice to convert a state of nothing into something, something that could interact. God created you and he created me. God created this thing called the cosmos, he is full of wonder. How did he do it? He spoke. You know, if you, if you will study, uh, there's this theory called string theory. They're all theories, by the way, and they usually get d- dismissed. But it's, it's a string theory. It's basically inside, the, inside of the inside of the inside, you know, as, as deep as you are the sun far, inside of you is these strings. And these strings move in a certain way, and they've got to move the right way or life can't exist. You can't breathe. Your heart can't beat. None of those things just in one piece of your DNA. And they, the thing that holds those strings together, you, the, the best explanation we can be given is that sound waves hold those things together. How many of you know that God spoke and the earth appeared? God spoke. We don't have all the answers, but we have the best explanation. And until someone can give me one that's better than that. Just keep rolling the dice, bro. This makes a lot more sense. This is a lot more logical. So the Big Bang requires a Big Banger. Right? You, gotta have a, you can't have a big bang without a big banger, right? It didn't happen by accident. <clears throat> David says it this way, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens, the, the skies proclaim the works of his hand. 
It's all beautiful. But guess what? Guess what else he made? Guess what else he made that's wonderful? You. You're wonderful. You know if your eyeball falls out, which would be crazy, but it might happen because it's October. You know what would happen if your eyeball fell out or quit working? It would never work again without a miracle. So if your eye falls out because we're so smart, the best thing that we can do is get you a glorified marble and stick it in the socket. This is a glorified marble. When you look at people, it kind of looks like they're looking at you. Right? I'm not being critical. I'm just saying. There's nothing they can do because your eye has like 40 million neutrons in it. 40 million. Talk about fine-tuning. I don't know how those were counted. Okay, I'll still, don't blink. Oh, let's start all over. I mean, how long did that take? <laughs> right? I mean, how does that work? Hold on, be still. Don't blink. Can I just have some visine? No. This won't take much longer. Right? 354,001. This won't take much longer. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why we value human life. Because we were made in such a way. We were made by our God. Listen, that's why you take God out of the equation. This is why we see so much devaluing of human life. And people on the news talking about eating babies to save the world. Yes, look it up. Stupid. I said it. It's very stupid. Oh, we all belong to the universe. David says the universe belongs to us, that God's given it to us. He just said it. Should we steward it well? Yes. But we don't eat babies. Even the people that don't usually make sense are like, what? What are you talking about? David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm wonderfully made. I'm made with wonder built into me. Your works are wonderful and know that fully well. I see it in myself. I see it in creation. I see the handiwork of God. Everything that God makes is wonderful. Broken, but wonderful. Broken, yet valuable. Broken, yet glorious. We heard a quote this week at a conference that Pastor Leslie and I were at. And the guy said this. He said, you know, even broken crayons still work. Even broken crayons still can color. They still have purpose. If I had a dirty $100 bill, I guarantee you, you would still take it. And I don't. I got a cash app, though. I don't know how to work it very well, but okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. What he makes is wonderful. And number three, his works are wonderful. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but listen. Study the children of Israel. If you look throughout the children of Israel, they have these reference points. They're like, remember when God delivered us through the Red Sea? Remember when we were in the desert and God, our shoes didn't wear out? 
for 40 years. Remember we were in the desert and there was food on the ground every day. God was providing. God did all these things. And so they developed this history with God. They had this track record. And that is what brought them into the promised land. They had hope because of what God had done. So now they have hope for what God is going to do for them. If God brought us this far, he's not going to leave us here. Now, they all didn't believe that all the time. The good thing they had some good leaders that were saying, we're going to get there. One of the leaders who we admire so much had to die in order for them to inherit the promised land. But here they are. Here they are maintaining hope. See, our hope is connected in our ability to wonder. Our hope, our hope lies in this wonder that says, I wonder if God will perform a miracle today. I wonder if God will rescue my marriage. I wonder if God will provide a mate for me. I wonder if God will take care of my bills. Or I wonder if God's going to leave me hanging. I wonder if God's not as good as he says he is. Where will you wonder? See, our hope is connected in our ability to wonder. Do you have hope or no hope? What do you wonder about? This is the thing about God. He only does good things. Not necessarily safe things. Lions aren't safe. I love lions. Don't want a face-to-face encounter. Love them behind a screen. Love them behind a... Six-inch piece of glass, love lions. Fearfully and wonderfully made also. But I am more fearfully and wonderfully made than that lion. So God created them. They are good. David says this, Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do only good. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of bad things. Scriptures tell us that God only does good things. He only does. You know who does bad things? You know why bad things happen? Because we live in a broken, fallen world, and there are a lot of broken, jacked-up people running the world. And this is what he says. You've placed everything under his feet. God's good. The world's messed up. Why? Because the world's under people's feet. We're the ones that are running things. He's given us the keys. We're in charge of the planet. So no wonder the planet's such a mess, but he has a solution. You are good and do only good. We see this in the book of Acts. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Miracles. You know what a miracle is. I bet at least half the people in the room today need a miracle. We talk about miracles a lot. We don't talk about signs and wonders too much because that's the stuff that freaks us out. That's when the box comes in handy. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, a deep sense of awe. One translation says, a deep sense of wonder came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and Wonders. You know what signs do? They make you wonder. You know what miracles do? They make you wonder. And I want to talk for just a moment about the most wonderful work that God had ever done.
We talked about his creation, talked about you and I, but the greatest wonder that God ever did, the, 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 the most wonderful work that God ever did is whenever he looked at humanity and he said, look what you've done with the world. What have you done with the place? And he wasn't asking a good question. And he looks at creation, he looks at mankind, and he says, what have you done to yourselves? And my favorite, one of my favorite things about God in theological conversations is the incarnation. Where God, who had always been there, the Son, Jesus, who had always been there, took on flesh. As it teaches us in John chapter 1. That God became a man. C.S. Lewis says it this way. The Son of God became a man. So the sons of men can become sons of God. That the children of, child of God, Jesus, the only begotten son, came to fall in humanity, to connect with us, to relate with us, to show us what the father was like. Now, Jesus wasn't average. He wasn't normal. He was completely holy. People ran out to meet him. He was totally different than any other man they'd ever seen, but a man nonetheless. And I love this, this incarnation that Jesus came, that he lived, that he made his dwelling among us, that he lived among us. And not only did he do that, he died for us. He saw our brokenness. He saw our Crayola that we had broken. And he said, you know what? I want to restore you. I want, I want to restore you. Have you ever taken one of those Crayola wrappers off and you could never get it back on? Jesus said, I want to restore you and I want to give you a new wrapper. And the wrapper is this. The, the wrapper is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who had no sin, he made him to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So the thing is, is in order to approach this holy God, this God that is completely holy and righteous, you have to become righteous to get into relationship with him. And they had a list. They had the information of how they do that, but they always failed the list. And then Jesus said, I'll take care of the list. I'll fulfill the list for you because you can't fulfill it. And guess what else? I will take your sin. And the greatest wonder of all is that Jesus looked at me and he looked at you and he said, they're valuable. I want them back. Not I'll take them, I want them. I pick you. So I will pay the highest price, not a man dying for a man, but God dying for a man. That we might be clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we can go before God and explore his glorious wonder. He wants you. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you think about me, who am I? He says, you're valuable. I'll become sin for you so you can become the righteousness of God. It's good news, beloved. The greatest work, the most wondrous work is this wondrous gospel, the gospel of Jesus. 